Thank you for joining us as we bring you this worship service of 7th Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our readings this morning are from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11, and from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Dr. Lisa Fulham is preaching. Her sermon is titled, Compassion, Justice, and Joy. You'll find the link to our complete announcements in your email. Here are a few highlights. We will be having a Christmas card exchange in the playful spirit of ugly Christmas sweaters. The deadline to let the church office know if you'd like to participate is tomorrow, Monday the 14th. Next Sunday, December 20th at 10 a.m., we will be having a live worship service on Zoom. This will include the debut of the Children's Christmas Pageant, and we will also be celebrating communion together. So we invite you to join us with bread and cup, and if you feel so inspired, also your pageant costume and favorite pageant-themed background. For those unable to attend, a recorded version of the service will be made available by Monday the 21st. That following Thursday, the 24th, we will have our Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. on Zoom. We invite you to join us with your cocoa, cozy fireplace attire, festive background decor, and of course, candles for Silent Night. The service will feature voices of our community with a shortened version of lessons and carols. And as today marks the third Sunday of Advent, you're invited to have a wreath or a progression of candles prepared. And during the opening canticle, you're invited to light the first three candles of Advent as we welcome the coming birth of Christ. And now in preparation to worship, you're invited to quiet yourself, becoming still as you prepare to worship God.
As soon as Elizabeth heard the sound of Mary's greeting, the child in her womb leapt for joy. Blessed is the one who believed the words spoken would be fulfilled. Advent is a turning point. It calls us to look for signs of God's presence all around us. Signs that call us to return, to hope, to revolution, to mystery. The prophecy candle is about awaiting the Messiah, the light of the world. The Bethlehem candle asks us to prepare a place in our hearts, a place where the Christ can be born. So with Mary, we too might be a sign of the Messiah's presence. Today we light the shepherd's candle, challenging us to shepherd our gifts and the gifts of all people, to be revolutionary in our loving and living, just as Mary was in her song. God has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, brought down the powerful from their thrones, and lifted the lowly, filling the hungry with good things. Let us worship God. Let us pray. Gracious God, for the gift of life, we give you thanks. For your mystery of Emmanuel, we offer you praise. When we forget your presence, forgive us. When we are separated from you, mend us. When we are blind to the needs of others, 
enlighten us. May we open ourselves to your unexpected presence, to your light in the wilderness. And now, in silence, we continue in prayer to you. The Spirit of God is upon us, choosing us, anointing us, transforming us, clothing us with garments of well-being, making us and all things new. Blessed be. Amen. reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy God, wellspring of life, illumine our hearts and minds that we might be refreshed by your word this day. Amen. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Holy has anointed me, sending me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of God's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of our God to display God's glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise the former devastations They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. 
I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom God has blessed. I will greatly rejoice, and my whole being shall exalt in my God. For Holy One has clothed me with the garments of salvation and covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Holy One will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God.
A reading from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, beginning with verse 46. My soul magnifies the Holy One, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the holiness of this servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is God's name. Mercy is for those who reverence God from generation to generation. The Holy One has shown strength with the arm. The Holy has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. The hungry have been filled with good things and sent the rich away empty. God has helped the servant Israel in remembrance of mercy, according to the promises made to our ancestors, Abraham and Sarah, and to their descendants forever. Here ends the reading. Good morning. I am delighted to be back with you again. A Facebook friend of mine has said that this year she is definitely going to stay up until midnight on New Year's Eve, not so much to see 2021 arrive, but to make sure that 2020 leaves. Such a year. COVID, with its enormous toll of suffering and death. Economic disaster that's still unfolding. Civil unrest opposing police brutality also still underway. School at home work at home, and too often conflicts at home. Political machinations undreamt of by the founders of the nation. A contested election which will be settled, fingers crossed, tomorrow when the Electoral College finally votes. There are signs of fragile hope. More and more are acknowledging the results of the election and challenges to it have failed in the courts, so electoral chaos seems less likely. Vaccines seem to be close on the horizon. The Bay Area is shut down again, but we know we can do this because we've done it before. That fragile hope comes with anxiety. How long will this go on? How will we get through it all? And already people are talking about returning to normal as though we're supposed to put 2020 behind us like it never happened. And now we have a new church year starting. The secular media is hustling us straight to Christmas with Hallmark movies, endless ads for what to get the kids, browbeating us with a responsibility to be merry. Leave this year behind. Leap to Christmas. Get back to normal. Drop the anxiety. It's as though we're to turn on a dime. And frankly, the way 2020's going, we'd spin out and crash like a race car. Oh, God, do we need Advent. Here we are in the third Sunday of Advent, which is called Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday. It's the pink candle among the three purples. Let's think a little about the season in light of the scriptures and how they might fit for us in our situation. Let's ponder and let's rejoice. Our theme for Advent this year is the turning point. We're in a turning season, but turning more like the turning of wood on a lathe in which the wood is slowly worked into its final form. We are being worked into a new and even lovelier shape in this season, 
and it takes time. We know this from scripture. Remember the Exodus? Moses sprung the Israelites from captivity in Egypt and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. The Israelites were battered and worn out and worse, they didn't have the kind of relationship with God, with Moses and with each other to sustain them in the promised land. So they wandered in the desert, learning how to be God's people and God learned how to be their God. An entire new generation was raised in the desert before they were ready for Canaan. Today's first reading is from the third part of Isaiah, written after the return from another captivity, this one in Babylon. The Jews were exiled in Babylon for 70 years, and then were permitted to return to Jerusalem, a journey that took four months. The city they returned to lay in ruins, and it was two years and two months before they were ready to lay the foundations of the new temple, the temple that Jesus would visit about 500 years later. But much had changed during the Babylonian captivity. The Hebrew alphabet came into being. The Torah, the five books of Moses, were edited together and came to be the defining religious text of this people in exile. Yeheskel Kaufman sees the Babylonian captivity as a watershed. He writes, quote, With the exile, the religion of Israel comes to an end, and Judaism begins. And monotheism emerged. Before Babylon, the Jews were worshippers of one god, but thought that their god was their god, the tribal deity of Israel. A worthy god, certainly, but one among many. The Babylonians were henotheistic. There are many gods, but Marduk, also known as Bel, was greater than the others. The Jews emerged from captivity monotheists. There really is only one God. For the Jews, their advent work, if you'll let me put it that way, began with the return from exile. The first change was a reassessment of foreigners. They were now welcome to worship if they presented themselves willing to praise the one God. In the preceding chapter, we're told that foreigners will bring gold and frankincense and a slew of camels as they praise God. What we hear in today's reading is what kind of God the one God is. This is the prophet's work. Isaiah proclaims good news that the one God has special care for the oppressed, for those who mourn, for the brokenhearted, and God proclaims liberty for captives. As God worked liberty for captive Jews, God's redemptive work is still going on. God is a God of compassion, justice, and joy. So the nation then is called to be a people of compassion and justice and joy. It took an advent, a turning time like wood in a lathe, a time of remembering where they'd been and what they'd been through and what that taught them about God and about what it means to worship this God. Mary's song, too, is a cry of compassion and justice and joy. Remember where it comes in the story. Mary had had this strange conversation with an angel who seemed not to know where babies come from, telling Mary she was going to get pregnant without having sex. The angel makes wild promises about the child-to-be, and Mary says yes, probably to get the silly angel to leave. But Mary wasn't quite ready for this news. She needed an advent. The angel said, 
Mary's cousin Elizabeth was also improbably pregnant, so Mary went from Nazareth to visit her in her house in the hill country, maybe Hebron or Ein Karem. As the crow flies, the hill country is 80 miles from Nazareth, and half again as far on the roads of the time. It's a trek! Imagine what she thinks about as she travels. I bet she half thought she'd find old Elizabeth not pregnant and then dismiss the angel as a bit of underdone potato, as Ebenezer Scrooge would try to do with his first ghostly encounter. I bet she half hoped to find Elizabeth not pregnant because Mary knew that if Elizabeth was pregnant, well, maybe the rest of the angel's story was true too. And what would that mean for her? I bet she worked out the other possibility, too. What would she think? What would she say if it was true? Well, we know the story. Elizabeth is improbably pregnant. And Mary speaks what she'd been working on during that long adventy trip from Nazareth. Her prayer is Hannah's prayer, the prayer of another improbably pregnant woman back in the first book of Samuel. Remember the social fate of women like Elizabeth and Hannah who were childless? They were thought to be cursed. They were subject to ridicule and abuse. Mary, pregnant out of wedlock, was in danger of being dumped by her fiancé and shamed for what everyone would assume was Mary's fault. Mary's Magnificat is the revolutionary war cry of the people of God, the God of the oppressed, the captive, the broken-hearted, of the God who lifts up the lowly and fills the hungry with good things. The world is about to turn, and Mary knows it before anybody else. You don't come to that understanding quickly. You have to walk about 120 miles. And think of a ballet dancer spinning, pirouetting, how they face forward even as their bodies twirl so they don't lose their balance? Advent is a time for us to recall who God is who accompanies us. That vision steadies us and reminds us of the path ahead, like the prophet proclaimed to the Jews returning from Babylon, as Mary proclaimed when the silly angel story turned out to be true. What does this all mean for us? Here we are in a turning time, both in the church year and in our lives now. What have we learned of our God in captivity, in our captivity, in pandemic and chaos? What does an Advent turning make of us as we reflect on this journey? I'll suggest three things, but these will be pretty obvious, and for each of us, the story's different, just like Elizabeth and Mary had different stories. First, I think we were reminded in this COVID time of captivity of the grace of simple, common things. Remember early in the pandemic when you couldn't find yeast in the stores? We were reminded early in COVID times to cherish ordinary things like the graces of baking, making sourdough bread, gardening. The earth itself will sustain us if we take care of it. Our spectacularly consumerist society took up cooking and gardening. Let's hold on to that on the other side of the pandemic. Second, 
COVID times led us to reassess who is essential. Not the celebrities and the ballplayers who command million-dollar salaries, though God bless them too. I, I can't wait to get back to a game or to a concert again, I have to say. But the essential people are grocery store clerks, nurses, bus drivers, poll workers for the election, the people who risk their lives to keep us going. Times of COVID and chaos invite us to recognize and cherish essential people. An army of volunteers emerged to help out. Let's remember the essential people also in our own lives, those we haven't seen in person for too long. Let us grieve the hundreds of thousands who have died in this COVID time. They were essential too. Let's keep this notion of who really are essential people on the other side of the pandemic. Finally, I think it was as a result of these first two that we saw a new movement of social justice. Here's one thing. So many people are out of work. So much economic devastation has been wrought. But charitable donations have gone up quite a lot, more than the rise from 2018 to 19. I suspect that Americans have noticed the economic devastation COVID has wrought on their neighbors and people who can are stepping up. But more. Van Jones has suggested that we're on the brink of a new awakening, perhaps, as white America might finally be willing to start to reckon with our nation's original sin of racism. People of color have been fighting for justice in America for centuries. Some white allies have stood with them. But it was this year that white America began to take heed of the cost of our nation's refusal to deal with racism and the police brutality that is just one of its products. Colin Kaepernick has been vindicated. Let's hope he gets a quarterback spot sometime soon, too. So Advent, a turning time, like wood in a lathe, being shaped into what we should be. Time for us to breathe. Time to let anxiety start to heal. Time to cherish what this time has taught us of ourselves and of God what we want to hang on to, what we might let go. And on this Gaudete Sunday, let us rejoice in the God of the oppressed, the marginalized, the lynched, the brokenhearted, just like Isaiah proclaimed, just like Mary proclaimed. This Advent, let us be more and more people in the image of that God. In so doing, we will be building the kingdom proclaimed by Mary's boy, born a couple weeks from now. Amen. We believe in God, whose spirit is upon us, whose love is within us, and whose call claims us. We believe in Christ, who opens us to ourselves, showing us the way to peace, guiding us into life. We believe in spirit, 
who stretches our hearts, enlarges our visions, empowering us to face the turning points of life. This we believe. Amen. My soul cries out with a joyful shout that the God in my heart is great. And my spirit sings of the wondrous things that you bring to the ones who wait. You fixed your sight on your servant's plight and my weakness you did not spurn. So from east to west shall my Let us pray. Holy One, we come before you in this time of darkness, this time of waiting, and we wait for the mountains to tremble. We wait for the scattering of the proud and the powerful to be removed from the thrones used at the expense of the earth and the wholeness of those around them. We pray your strength as we wait. We pray your comfort as we search for the light, the light that may flicker 
but will never be extinguished. We pray you walk close beside us as we journey on this path of expectation. As we walk, keep our eyes fixed on the light of your goodness that has guided us for so long. Your faithfulness, which has seen us through times of many troubles, these and others, through times of hope that was barely alive. Stay close, we pray, that we may sing your praises even now. Even now. Now, in silence, we continue with the prayers of our hearts. We make all of these prayers in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.
In this Advent time, akin to a long walk out of captivity, battered and worn out, we are invited to try on the image of wood turned on a lathe, being shaped into something new. What do you want to hold on to? And what do you want to let go of? As you grow ever more fully into one bearing the image of the God of compassion, justice, and joy. grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches, it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen. <laughs>